welcome to Classic Comedy of Old Time Radio. I'm your host, Ron Ecklebarger. Here comes the king of comedy himself, Bob Hope, in, what else, The Bob Hope Show. This is episode number 485 of The Bob Hope Show, and it originally aired on March 6th, 1951. Here now is Bob Hope from Edwards Air Force Base with his special guests, Ava Gardner and Chuck Yeager. For you, proof of mildness with no unpleasant aftertaste. Chesterfield, Chesterfield always takes first place. That milder, mild tobacco never leaves an aftertaste. So open a pack, give them a smell. Then you'll smoke them. Chesterfields present the Bob Hope Show, transcribed direct from Yurok Air Force Base, California, with Les Brown and his band of renown. For Chesterfields, yours truly, Hi Aberback. Our special guest, Connie Haynes and Ava Gardner. And here he is, the Jet comic, a perfect blowhard, Bob Hope. <laughs> Thank you. Well, here we are at Edwards Air Force Base at Muroc, the paradise of the West. <laughs> where never is heard a discouraging word and everybody has applied for a transfer. <laughs> this, this place is really in the desert. I was introduced to a colonel today and instead of eagles, he was wearing a gopher on each shoulder. <laughs> Yes, sir, this is really in the desert. You know, when a platoon of infant infantrymen go on a 15-mile hike, it usually means they're going on a maneuver. When they march that far here, it just means they're going to the washroom. <laughs> this is a very interesting uh, base geographically. The sandstorms here are really something. In fact, at the Pentagon in Washington, there's a map representing all the Air Force bases. Muroc isn't a pin, it's a question mark. <laughs> Last week, a pilot was trying to come in during a sandstorm. He asked the tower where to land, and the tower said, call you back as soon as we make our own landing. <laughs> up here... Thank you, drifters. Up here... <laughs> this is an experimental base for the Air Force, and they're very strict about identification here. When I arrived, I told them I was Bob Hope, and I'd tell jokes. They didn't believe me. <laughs> now I need a letter from somebody proving it. Don't just sit there. Start writing. <laughs> There's so much secrecy here, some of the airmen don't know what they're doing. I talked to a pilot who thinks he's driving a Greyhound bus to Salt Lake City. <laughs> really? Everything's top secret here. This is the only place in the world where the jackrabbits have to take a loyalty oath. some weird planes here at Muroc. Some of the aircraft are so advanced they may have to invent a man to fly them. <laughs> but they're doing a great job. Last week they flew a plane almost 800 miles an hour. Next week they're going to try it with a motor. <laughs> Imagine traveling faster than the speed of sound. That means I can put a Crosby record on my phonograph and be out of town before he starts singing. 
don't care what anybody says, I was the first man to crash through the sound wall. It happened when I was three months old. My nurse was changing my diaper and I happened to touch a light socket. <laughs> but I'm serious, they fly everything here at Muroc, and I mean everything. Yesterday, a pilot climbed into a cockpit and got up to 4,000 feet before he realized he was flying a Coke machine. <laughs> he ran out of nickels and had to make a forced landing. of mildness with no unpleasant aftertaste. That's what Chesterfield has for you. And here's the authority that proves Chesterfields are mild. Over a thousand prominent tobacco growers have signed this statement. To judge tobacco for its mild smoking qualities, I smell it. If it smells milder, I know it'll smoke milder. If that tobacco is made into cigarettes, those cigarettes will smell milder and smoke milder. That's why I smoke Chesterfield. Yeah, there's the proof of mildness. Now the proof that Chesterfields leave no unpleasant aftertaste. The authority? It's the country's first and only cigarette taste panel who reported Chesterfield is the only cigarette in which members of the panel found no unpleasant aftertaste. Can't beat that for straight facts. That's what Chesterfields give you. Mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. So you can see, Chesterfields give you more for your money. Next time, buy Chesterfield. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's an exceptional recording artist whose dynamic song styling keeps her in the top flight among the nation's jukebox favorites, singing one of the numbers she's presenting at the famous Coconut Grove now in Los Angeles. Here she is, Miss Connie Hayes. <laughs> Stars in the sky You can bet that he's doing it for some dog When you spot a John waiting out in the rain Chances are he's insane as only a John can be for a day When you meet a gem Paying all kind of rent for a flat that could flatten the Taj Mahal Call it sad, call it funny But it's better than even money That the guy's only doing it for some dogs Guys and dolls, dogs and guys They just make believe they're wise They're the biggest rubes of all when they fall when you see a dame change the shape of a frame, you can bet she's reducing it for some guy. When you find a doll with a diamond in a heart, rest assured that the rock has gone to restock some gentleman jock. When you see a mouse, hurry out of the house. And she runs when he blocks for cigars and rye. Call it dumb, call it clever, but you can give odds forever that the doll's only doing it. Though someday she'll be ruining it, that doll's only doing it for some Ladies and 
gentlemen, early this morning, Bob went out to the Burbank Airport in Los Angeles to meet the man who was going to fly him up here to Muroc, the famous jet pilot, Captain Chuck Yeager. I wanted to see how Bob would feel about flying in a jet plane, so I went out to the airport to see them off. Say, hi. I can't wait to get started. Imagine what a thrill this will be. I'm not only flying to Muroc in a jet plane, but the pilot's going to be Captain Chuck Yeager, the first guy to fly fast enough to break through the supersonic wall. Yeah, I know all that, Bob, but what I want to know is, where did you get that weird flying outfit? Well, what's the matter with it? <laughs> it looks awful baggy in the back. Well, it's a seat cover from a coupe, and I'm built more like a station wagon, you see? <laughs> hey, would you look around for Captain Yeager? Hi, I can't see through these goggles. There's a little fog in my starboard porthole. Uh, well, here comes someone in Air Force uniform now, Bob. Hey, buddy. I'm going to take off that runway in a few minutes. you mind moving that Jeep with the big headlights? <laughs> that's not a Jeep. It's Bob Hope. Yeah, well, I paid two bits to park here. Hey, wait a minute. Hi, that's Captain Chuck Yeager. There he is. <laughs> Hello, Bob. Uh, Hello, Hamlin, West Virginia. Yes, sir. How are you, Chuck? Yeah, I can't wait to take off in your jet plane. Boy, that's the way to travel. Sure is. We'll be in the air in a few minutes. Here, Bob, I brought you a crash helmet. Oh, thanks. Gee, it fits exactly. Say, how do you like that the stores told me they didn't have my size? That's right. They don't make uh, flying helmets to fit a head like yours. <laughs> Just read the lines like they are. <laughs> They don't make flying helmets my size, huh? Then, then where did you get this one? I put a chin strap on a cantaloupe skin. <laughs> yeah, I wish I were going on this flight with you guys, even though there is some danger. Danger? Oh, it's nothing to worry about, Bob, but under tremendous pressure, some people get molecular cobalitis, and they never regain consciousness. Molecular cobalitis? What's that? Well, your red corpuscles are disintegrated by the white ones, and your blood becomes like milk. Is it too late to get Elsie the cow? <laughs> but, Chuck, you didn't tell me. What was that? What was that? Oh, the mechanic's warming up my jet job. Uh, we'd better take off now. Come on, Bob. Well, we don't have to be in such a hurry. You're not nervous, are you? Nervous? Who's nervous? <laughs> my teeth always chatter like this in the morning. Look, Captain, before I get in that plane, I want to know just what happens on these flights. Well, uh, first of all, I check everything thoroughly, and you know, at those supersonic speeds, if anything happens, it's the end of both of us. What was that? One half of Bob's goggles just fell off. <laughs> you know, as soon as we get in the air, we'll climb up to around 40,000 feet, and your oxygen mask had better be secure, or the pressure will get you and your lungs will collapse. There goes the other half. <laughs> of course, we have to be sure there are no leaks in the canopy. If any air gets in when we're going over 700 miles an hour, you'll get smashed like a housefly. What was that? Bob just joined his goggles. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's what happened this morning at Burbank Airport. Isn't that right, Captain Yeager? Yeah, that's what happened. Well, uh, how was the trip up here to Muroc, Captain? Oh, I had a swell flight, huh? but 
Bob's over in the base hospital getting oxygen. He had an attack of altitude sickness. Oh, the trip in the jet was too much for him, huh? No, Bob didn't fly up with me. At the last minute, he backed out. Well, then how did he get altitude sickness? He came up on a Greyhound bus and got a high seat over a wheel. <laughs> So, Bob's in the hospital, huh? Yeah, but don't feel sorry for him. Ava Gardner's over there holding his hand. Here's a glass of water, Bob. Thanks, Ava. Go ahead, Bob, and finish your story about the trip down here. Oh, yes. Where was I? Well, uh, the plane was in a terrific spin. Captain Yeager had fainted from fright. You had just started a dead motor with a fingernail file, and you were kicking the ice off the wings with your feet while you tapped out a radio message with your nose. <laughs> yes, and what made it even more difficult, Ava, was that somehow or other an eagle had gotten into the plane, and during all this, it was laying eggs in my hair. I was courageous, but messy. Gee, Bob. You know, I've never heard a story to equal this one for heroism. To tell the truth, neither have I. But there I was, Ava, going along at 1,700 miles an hour, when all of a sudden... Wait, wait a minute, I, Bob. I, no. hmm? I thought that the fastest anyone had ever flown was around 800 miles an hour. How could you be going 1,700? Well, there was very little traffic. As a matter of fact... <laughs> What I mean is, uh, Look, I, if uh, what you say is true, Bob, huh? if it's true, how could you land a jet plane without any previous experience? Oh, I didn't have any trouble, Ava. After Captain Yeager came to, came to, he gave me advice. Captain Yeager came to? Uh-huh. Then why didn't he land the plane himself? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the control tower wouldn't let him land on account of Muroc regulation. Muroc regulation? <laughs> yes, they could see on the radar screen that he wasn't wearing a necktie. But, uh... <laughs> things at MGM, Ava? Well, I've been pretty busy. I just finished a Technicolor film called Showboat. Really? Well, you know, Ava, there's a rumor going around that you're doing everything you can to get me as the leading man in your next picture. It's all, it's all over Hollywood. Oh? You know, I haven't heard about it. <laughs> well, you live in Beverly Hills, and I'm covering that territory. <laughs> and I'm covering that territory next week. <laughs> I should wait till the line's finished. But seriously, Ava, why, why don't you come over to my studio and make a picture? Oh, it's very nice of you to ask me, Bob. But the studio usually picks someone to play opposite me who is more the reckless, dashing type. Yes, I know. Do you think it would help any if you told them how I flew a jet plane down here and blacked out at 40,000 feet? Oh, yeah, that reminds me, Bob. I've got something in my purse that belongs to you. Here. Oh, gee, these, these are my flying goggles. Where'd you find them, Ava? Well, Bob, you see, when you blacked out at 40,000 feet, they fell on my lap. I was sitting in back of you on the Greyhound bus. (laughs) 
Wherever you buy cigarettes in the USA, you have a treat in store for you. For right next to the tobacco counter, you'll probably see a gaily colored poster of the star of this show, Bob Hope. He's sniffing a pack of Chesterfields and smoking. And I'm saying, how right? They smell milder, they smoke milder. Yes, the posters are lovely, high, but I wish Crosby would stop trying to improve the artwork. Well, what's Bing been doing to the posters? He's been going around nailing signs on them. Wanted, dead or alive. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Is he offering a reward? Yes, the first person that apprehends me gets Everett. But, hi, <laughs> while I'm still at large, I'd like to sell the folks in Chesterfields. Friends, that poster you'll see when you buy cigarettes is there to remind you that Chesterfield has, for you, proof of mildness with no unpleasant aftertaste. Now, to prove that for yourself, just make this test. Buy a pack of Chesterfields. Open them. Enjoy that mild, mellow aroma. That's right. Take a good whiff. Milder, isn't it? Yes, Chesterfields have a milder aroma, and that means they smoke milder. Smoke them and check that. And when you finish that milder Chesterfield, notice this because it's important. It leaves no unpleasant aftertaste. So, always buy Chesterfields. The only cigarette that gives you mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. Or, to sum it up in a musical capsule... Chesterfield, Chesterfield, always takes first place. That milder, mild tobacco never leaves an aftertaste. So open a pack, give them a smell, then you'll smoke them. You know, after you light up a Chesterfield and you feel mellow and in a reminiscent mood, just sit back and... Get out those old records, those old phonograph records, the ones we used to play so long ago. What if they sound scratchy? The tunes really were catchy, especially those that said, I love you so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to put a stack of records on in the evening like this and listen to them. Each one brings back a special memory, and through them all runs the name of Ava. Yes, Ava, the only person in this world I ever loved. Every time my heart beat, it said, Ava, Ava. Ava, Ava, Sam, Ava. <laughs> Sam was her girlfriend. <laughs> the one who always answered the phone when I called. Ah, oh, what memories. In the little red schoolhouse with my book and play. In the little red schoolhouse I was always late. Yes, sir, there's a record that takes me back. It reminds me of how I met Ava. I'll never forget the thrill I got when I noticed there was a new girl in the class. She was pretty. She was awful pretty. I'd seen a lot of pretty girls, but she was the prettiest of them all. In fact, she was so pretty, I walked over to her and said, You're pretty. <laughs> Gee, I'm glad you're in the class. What's your name? Ava. Just the sound of her voice made my socks unravel. <laughs> because Ava was so beautiful, I might have known trouble was coming. One day at recess, the bully of the school, High Averback, walked up to me and said, I don't want you carrying Ava's books home anymore, you hear? I'm taking over. From now on, she's my girl. I don't think you're so tough. No? Well, I'll show you. I'll hit you on the end of the nose so hard, you'll feel it within five minutes. <laughs> Okay, you asked for it. Take that. And that. Maybe I should have waited till he took off his glasses. 
I won the fight, and right after recess, I said, Ava. Yes, Robert? I changed seats with Willie Jones so I'd have the desk right across from you. Isn't it cozy this way? Yes, Robert, but the other pupils are beginning to notice. You shouldn't be sitting next to me. She was right. I shouldn't have been sitting at that desk. After all, I was the teacher. Those were wonderful days for Ava and me. When I take my sugar to tea, all the boys are jealous of me. Cause I never take her where the gang goes when I take my sugar to tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that tune reminds me of my first date with her. I remember we went to that little gypsy tea room. I was so in love, I brought home the tea bag as a souvenir. <laughs> and I pressed it in the family album. Guess I shouldn't have done it because the tea colored everything in the album brown. To this day, my Uncle Julius looks like a soggy Indian. (laughs) Ava looked gorgeous that day. As she came toward me, she looked at me lovingly and said, Hello, Robert. (laughs) And she said my name, my socks unraveled again. (laughs) This girl was too beautiful. By now, I had so many holes in my argyles, I had to paint my toes with plaid chem tone. <laughs> oh, Robert, I think this little tea room is just perfect. The candlelight and the wine, the waiters and the bandanas and earrings. Oh, who's this coming over to our table? Oh, they have a strolling serenader who plays for couples in love. Let's hold hands and listen. <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute, what's that? What's the matter, Jack? Don't you like gypsy music? (laughs) That's gypsy music? Yeah. I can't make a violin cry, but I can sure make a trombone sweat. We'll have to admit that it's different But you know, we'd like something more in the mood of a tea room Yes, do you happen to know Russian lullaby? Do I? Lay back your ears, Big Daddy I'll blast it so loud I'll blow the borscht out from under your boiled potatoes (laughs) On second thought, don't bother You see, we're sort of in love Yes, if you don't mind We'd we'd much rather be left alone Uh, In love, now ain't that sweet I'm married, you know. My husband is so cute. He's three-foot midget. A midget? On account of my husband being a midget, he got a wonderful job at the Muroc Officers Club. Well, I've been there. What does your husband do at the Officers Club? He's economy supervisor. Uh Uh-huh. When you tug on the roller towel, did you notice how hard it is to get it out? Yes, I did. Yeah. Well, my husband's inside, holding on. Oh, yes. Well, I gotta be going. Goodbye. Uh, uh, dearie. Yes? I ain't no fortune teller, but I can tell you, you chose the right man. Oh, do you think so? Yeah. Uh, he's got what every woman wants. Really? <laughs> What's that? That beak. (laughs) Who 
what a place to hang a wet nylon. Now, wait a I remember that paper moon. It was in the photographer's gallery where Abe and I had our graduation pictures taken. It was a proud day when those pictures appeared in the high school magazine, except for one thing. The editor of the magazine was cross-eyed. Ava came out the most popular man in the class, and I was chosen the girl who would make the best mother. <laughs> that night, we met as usual. Well, I got the pictures from the photographer, Robert. Don't we make a handsome couple? Yeah, I wish it would always be that way. Ava. What? Will you marry me? Oh, Robert, I've waited so long for you to ask me that. Come here and kiss me. That one left me barefooted. <laughs> I was so happy that night, Ava and I were going to get married and live in a little vine-covered cottage. I had everything figured out. My future was all set. There was only one thing I hadn't reckoned on. Yes. Then came the war. I didn't go. Give the world to see that old gang of mine. I can't forget that. Oh, yes, sir, that old gang of mine. I didn't see any of them until that day in Denver. There was a convention in town. The hotel I was at was crowded. I was standing in the lobby when she entered. Ava. She was dressed in a white satin gown with a long train. She was wearing a white veil and carrying a huge bouquet of orange blossoms. A group of laughing friends followed her, tossing handfuls of rice. I ran up to her breathlessly and said, What's new? Why, Robert, I haven't seen you for years. And to think that I'd meet you now when I'm on my honeymoon. Honeymoon? Who'd you marry? Hi, Everback. Hi, Everback. How I hated him. He was still the crooked cheat he'd always been. He made a success in the fur business selling mink coats. But they weren't real mink coats. He made them by gluing mice onto a shower curtain. <laughs> oh, Ava, darling, come along. Why well, have to go now, Robert? Goodbye, Ava. Oh, I stood there and watched the girl of my dreams walk out of my life. There was only one thing that bothered me. Did a spark of our old love still remain in her heart? Or had she been nice to me just because I was in uniform? Boy, take these bags up to 987. Yes, sir. Coming, sir. For the memory of Edwards Air Force Base 
where jet planes fly through space, the men on wing will help to bring peace to the human race. And we thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. You may think that ABC means always by Chesterfield, but confidentially, the AC stands for Army Camps, Air Force Camps, Navy Bases, Marine Camps, where Chesterfields make it possible for us to be these Tuesday nights. Chesterfield picks up the check for these trips, and it's ABC, a big check. But then what's a few thousand dollars to Chesterfield? Just cigarette money. You know... While we're on the subject of money, let's buy Easter seals and big lots this year. What a wonderful job those Easter seals do for thousands and thousands of little kids who are crippled. Easter seals look like stamps, and believe me, when you buy Easter seals, you're helping stamp out a lot of pain and suffering and lending a hand to the handicapped. Next Tuesday, we'll be able to be seeing you fellas from another one of Uncle Sam's big camps. Till then, thanks again to Ava Gardner, Connie Haynes, Captain Chuck Yeager, the Woodshedders, and the men of Muroc Air Base who have the world's biggest job, keeping Uncle Sam's air the way it's kept at your corner service station free. Good night for Chesterfield. Folks, next time you buy cigarettes, remember this. Chesterfields give you more for your money, and that's because Chesterfields give you mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. Yes, Chesterfields do give you more for your money, and that's something to think about these days. So always buy Chesterfield. They satisfy. Chesterfield has brought you the Bob Hope Show, transcribed direct from Yurok Air Force Base, California. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. We had two very special guests on today's show. Let's talk about them. The first, Charles Elwood Yeager. He was born in 1923. In 1941, he started out in the Army in World War II as a lowly private who was assigned to be an aircraft mechanic. Well, he wanted to fly, and so he applied to flight school and was accepted, and he soon became an officer and a fighter pilot based out of England. He became quite a good fighter pilot. In fact, he attained a status called ace in a day, which very few pilots ever attained. Uh, you become a uh, fighter pilot ace by shooting down five enemy aircraft. And he did that in one mission on October 12th, 1944. So he became ace in a day. After the war, he became a test pilot. And Jaeger broke the sound barrier, as they talked about on today's show, on October 14th, 1947, while he was piloting the experimental rocket-propelled aircraft X-1, named the Glamorous Glennis after his wife. He achieved the speed of Mach 1.05, and he flew at an altitude of 45,000 feet over the Rogers Dry Lake in the Mojave Desert in California, which, of course, Edwards Air Force Base is right near there. He then, in 1953, which was a little while after this show, set a new record of flying at 2.44 times the speed of sound, or Mach 2.44, on December 12, 1953. He continued as a test pilot and held a number of commands. He was promoted through the ranks and became a brigadier general 
1969 and was assigned to be vice commander of the 17th Air Force. He retired from the Air Force in 1975. The list of his awards and honors is about a mile long. He received the Air Force Distinguished Service Medal, the Army Distinguished Service Medal, the Silver Star with a Bronze Oak Leaf Cluster, the Legion of Merit, the Distinguished Flying Cross, the Bronze Star with the Bronze Valor Device, Purple Heart, the Air Medal with two Silver Leaf, Silver Oak Leaf Clusters, the Air Force Commendation Medal, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and the Congressional Silver Medal. He was also inducted into the National Aviation Hall of Fame. Chuck Yeager died less than a year ago, on December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, 2020. He was 97 years old. The other guest today was Ava Gardner. She was born in 1922 in Grabtown, North Carolina. She was discovered in a very interesting way. In 1940, when she was 18, she was visiting her sister and her brother-in-law who lived in New York City. Now, her brother-in-law was a professional photographer, and he took Ava's picture to send it to her mom. Well, he liked how it turned out. She was quite photogenic. So, he not only sent a copy to his mother-in-law, but he put a copy of it in the window of his photography studio in New York City. Well, there was a guy in New York who would pose as an MGM talent scout in order to meet girls. And he saw her picture and went into the brother-in-law's studio to try to get Ava's phone number. Well, of course, they refused to give out her info. But while leaving, the guy did say, hey, somebody should send her info to MGM. Well, Ava's sister and brother-in-law did. And Ava was given a screen test. The only problem was that nobody could understand her because her southern drawl was so heavy. In fact, the story goes that when Louis B. Mayer, the head of MGM, uh, saw the uh, screen test that she did, he sent a, a telegram to the guy who had done the screen test in New York and said, she can't sing, she can't act, she can't talk, she's terrific! Well, they hired her, they gave her a speaking coach, then gave her singing lessons, and they gave her about five years of uncredited bit parts. Finally, she hit the big time in 1946 in the film called The Killers, where she played the femme fatale opposite Burt Lancaster. After that, she started getting many more starring roles in the 50s and the 60s. She had roles in films such as The Snows of Kilimanjaro in 1952, opposite Gregory Peck, Mogambo in 1953, opposite Clark Gable, The Barefoot Contessa in 1954, opposite Humphrey Bogart, The Sun Also Rises in 1957, opposite Tyrone Power. She uh, was also uh, starred with uh, Charlton Heston and David Niven in 1963 in the movie 55 Days at Peking. And then uh, she had another uh, major leading role in The Night of the Iguana in 1964, where she starred with Richard Burton. And then in uh, also in 1964, in the movie Seven Days in May, she starred with Kirk Douglas and Frederick March. She continued to act into the 1980s, primarily on TV. 
Now, Ava Gardner's personal life was tumultuous, to say the least. She was married three times, which, you know, compared to like Liz Taylor, that's not too many, but it's it's interesting. She In 1942, she married Mickey Rooney, and she divorced him a year later, uh, or less than a year later, citing mental cruelty. Then in 1945, she married bandleader Artie Shaw, who had been married to Lana Turner previously, divorced him in 1946. Then in 1951, she married the man she called the love of her life. That was Frank Sinatra. Well, they were married for six years. They divorced in 1957, and and Ava Gardner was definitely the love of Sinatra's life, even though uh, he it, it really hurt his career when he left his first wife and, and mother of his children, Nancy Sinatra, uh, in order to uh, have, you know, have his affair and, and, and then end up marrying uh, Ava Gardner. Um, according to many people, their relationship almost destroyed him because it was so tumultuous and and she did have a roving eye but of course uh, so did Frank um, but at the same time it was her influence that got him the role in from here to eternity in 1953 that saved both his acting and singing career and won him an Academy Award she never married again after divorcing Sinatra, even though she had many relationships, including one with Ernest Hemingway, who was the author of several of the uh, movies that she was in, such as uh, The Sun Also Rises. Uh, so there were screen adapta adaptations of Ernest Hemingway's works that, that Ava Gardner was in. In 1999, the American Film Institute ranked Gardner number 25 on their list of greatest female screen legends of classic American cinema. Ava Gardner died of pneumonia and pulmonary fibrosis after years of smoking in 1990. She was 67. We have a comment from one of our listeners, Du Journalistes. I hope I pronounced that properly. That's in French, who listens to our show via YouTube. They write, thanks so much. This is great. Could you add in the description that Judy Garland sings Wonderful Guy from South Pacific? To my knowledge, this was the only time she performed this song. She, uh, the, uh, the listener is referring to last week's show, uh, the Bob Hope Show, where Judy Garland was the guest star. And she did sing the song, uh, Wonderful Guy. I'm in love with a wonderful guy. So uh, I did change the description on the website to add that Judy Garland did sing that song. Thank you for listening and thank you for your comment. And uh, I have no idea if that was the only time she performed the song. But if so, uh, it's a rare treat that we all got to have. Uh, anytime you get to listen to Judy Garland sing, it's a treat. Well, please send your questions and comments to host at classiccomedyotr.com. Come back next Wednesday for another episode of The Bob Hope Show and check in on Friday for the next installment of The Life of Riley. Until we meet again, in the words of George Bernard Shaw, beware of false knowledge. It is more dangerous than ignorance.